speech. Hello. Speech is an action. And there's a lot of ways we can understand this. First of all, to understand that it's an action of the body and the expression of the action of the mind. As an action of the body, it can be understood from the standpoint of how it involves musculature and so on. And that's productive, that's helpful. And as an action of the mind, it can be understood in its ethical dimension. So speech as kama or karma. And between the two, as action in the world, where body and mind move in the world, and speech is part of that movement, speech can be understood in terms of its effects. Kama Vipaka, the fruits of action. Because speech originates in the mind, to understand the source, the unfolding, the effects, is to understand the mind in its totality and understand speech as action is to understand how action works, why it matters. Language gives uh, a form and puts a handle on that which has no words. Life as such, experience as such, even objects as such are not comprised of language inherently. And so speech is always at best, an approximation of experience, even if we're saying chair. It's just a concept expressed through this sorting mechanism of the mind. It sorts it, says, oh, okay, all these things are alike, and a label is affixed. And you stretch the edges and the boundaries of what is a chair that raises one set of questions. But it's good enough for most purposes to say chair. When we talk about something like love, what's that? And you don't even need to try to stretch the definitions or the shapes or the boundaries of love it does it for you. Within your own mind, let alone when you talk to someone else. 
So we understand that what seems very precise, even in this moment as I'm speaking, perhaps it seems like I'm saying something and we know what I'm saying, but something is being woven with all kinds of assumptions, all kinds of very quick interpretations right now that we then say, oh, I know what he's saying. He just said, I know what he's saying. I, what's that? No, hello, I don't think so. What, he, what kind of he is that? Is saying, saying. So it gets pretty thin pretty quickly when you begin to look closely. But in meditation, don't we look closely? So meditation is a process, is it not, of going beneath all of our assumptions about the world as far as we possibly can, all the way down through language, through self-concept, through sensation itself, through awareness itself. As intimate as we can get with experience in meditation, this is what the stillness of the mind invites when it is bright and aware in the moment. So what would it mean to bring together this action of speech in all of this flabbiness or undefinability with meditation, to bring them together? What is that? So it's not a small thing that we're exploring here. And our capacity for speaking is so highly developed that we can speak automatically, we can speak quickly, and we can speak with basically complete inattention to what's going on, which is what we do most of the time. So just as meditation in silence is a radical confrontation of reality, as it were, of experience, speaking that invites a language into its domain that doesn't keep it out, creates a radical confrontation with one of our most powerful capacities, one of our most beneficial capacities, and one of our most destructive capacities. So to understand that, we need to go down to the, closer to the source as a starting point. Otherwise, we'll just be dancing around. And lots of people do very good dancing around in meanings and how meanings form and how they relate between speaker and listener. All this whole field of communication, of linguistics, it's good, important work, but in meditation, you have to include some of that to the extent that silent meditation, for example, includes what? You know, physics and perception and so on. They both include neuroscience and so on. 
But here, just as you need the language of the Dhamma to understand what is known about the mind when you apprehend directly, so it is with speech. So let's begin by looking at where does this stuff come from? We've already agreed that experience as such or the world as such is not language. It's not made up of language. It's just this flux of experience. And there's this categorizing that happens in a process referred to as sanya, perception. And the role of speech in sanya is to almost infinitely expand the power of the mind in its naming by putting handles on things so that categories can be categorized, so that they can be woven together, and we can create civilization, law, marriage, arguments and love. We can create Dhamma. We can create Hitler's speeches. We can create all of the outflows of the mind, wholesome and unwholesome, through that. But it begins in experience that has no language. It just has the bare flux of the world and the tendency of the body-mind to do this sorting, to name, and then where does the action of speech in the mind or in the voice, but let's start with the mind, where does it come from? It comes out of the same basic urging and flow as the rest of our lives, right? So it comes out of the urge to survive, comes out of the urge for pleasure, out of the urge, the urging, the tanha, the craving, the hunger to get out. So there's a pressure that comes. It comes out of the urge biologically conditioned urge of kindness out of the urge of empathic response. It comes out of the urge of joy. Right? The whole spectrum is the source. But we have to understand no urge, no speech. Right? There's just stillness. In the beginning was the word. That's the genesis of speech. The Hindu version of that is there's, there's the nothingness and then there's the Atman. Atman gave birth to all this language so it could begin to know itself and all the separate little Atmans. But here, in this moment, in the language of the Dhamma, avijja pachaya sankara, dependent upon ignorance or just a blank not knowing of the manifesting of all of this comes up the forming process, the construction process, 
consciousness arises based on that, sankara pachaya vijnana, and out of that begins to form, we begin to see or give name to the different layers of this experience that you're having right now. But getting back to the immediacy of it, just think about yourself, let's say, at work or at home. Why would you speak at all? Totally mundane, why would you speak? Because there's some kind of urge. Typically, there's something you want. Next time you go to the store, could you please buy some carrots? Why did you speak? Desire for carrots or fear of the absence of carrots? Right? There's something going on there. An urge to be able to give carrots to your rabbit or your visiting friend. So there arises the perception, oh, we're out of carrots. Some projection forward to circumstances of the bunny rabbit or your visiting friend. And, uh-oh, the mind says no carrots. And some kind of urge comes up that says, I gotta solve this problem. And your friend or partner is going to the store Better speak, better say something. Could you get some carrots? So there's an urge even right there. Or you're working on a car with your friend, the mechanic, and he says, eh. So uh, I think that bolt is loose. And you say, could you hand me a wrench? Sounds like, what, there's no urge there. Yeah, there's an urge. You're in the middle of a job and there's this movement to finishing the job. If you don't, you don't have a car or whatever. And there's this urge. I've got to have a wrench. I can't do it with my hand. It's too tight. So you're solving a problem. Okay. Simple enough. So now, you're sitting, let's say, at the kitchen table and with your significant other. And you say, I'm really, really upset. Your significant other sitting there doesn't know why you're upset. But now he or she's getting upset. Activated. And you say, I don't feel like you love me anymore. And it really hurts. Why did you say that? Well, it really hurts. You've got a problem. Just like the wrench or the carrots. And you want to solve this problem. So where this begins is not with how I feel you don't love me anymore. It begins 
in the whole felt sense of what not being loved is. The whole body is activated. The hormonal system is just flushed with all kinds of stuff. The brain is activated. And out of this morass, which is somewhat more complex than a wrench or a carrot, out of this morass comes oh, He doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't love me anymore. And the body deflates and is such grief and sadness. But there's some hope that if you say something, you might be able to work it through. And the feeling behind that is not the something to be said. It's the feeling behind that. And out of that comes this thing of language that's trying to put words to this loneliness and this fear. And the energy behind that comes up through the belly The belly presses in, air comes up, moves through, and the, the, the harder you push the belly, the faster the air comes up and the louder the sound's going to be. So we have the physical act directly mirroring the tensions of the body. In this case, maybe you're deflated. Oh, you just don't love me anymore. Or maybe you're angry, and this comes through. You don't love me anymore. And that is reflecting the bodily, muscular action of speech. And that air flows up, and it moves through the vocal folds. And once again, it's the movement of muscles that creates this change of tension where the pitch gets higher or the pitch gets lower as those muscles relax. And so your, your, your feeling is manifesting in your voice. Your feeling is manifesting in your voice. Your body is manifesting in air vibrations. that reflect physical tension. And then the ballet of the tongue, the movements of the jaw, the air coming up through that resonant chamber and this translating from this felt sense of lack of love and the fear and the whole bodily sense, and the expression through all those things we just touched of the body, but in the mind, that feeling was this inchoate, in the beginning was the word kind of universe with no form, taking form, and ex being expressed through our native tongue, a language that we've learned since we were infants, sometimes otherwise, of course, sometimes a second or third language. And coming with that, in trying to name that experience, are all the prior experiences we've named. Sankara Pachaya Vijnana, dependent upon the whole constructed history arises consciousness in that moment. Consciousness is taking rise around speech, around those crystallizations of sanya, of perception. This is how I feel. Where did that come from? That 
word love. You don't love me anymore. That's not meta, probably. It's not agape, probably. What is it? Some word love that you learned from your mother and watching one of these television shows or something, you know, or, or whatever novels you read. Maybe, maybe your idea of love came from Jane Eyre. I don't know. But you've got somehow this love was pulled out of there, and it might be very different if you were, let's say, raised in rural China. But it would very likely, you know, their translation across cultures is possible, so there are certain qualities that are pretty close to universal to the human species, but whatever, it's, you know. So out of that morass comes this process of almost like reverse perception, right? Where there's already these formed perceptions trying to put some kind of label on what is pre-perceptual. It's just this flux that is experienced as unsatisfactory, it's painful. And that's the generative thing between the mind and body, all that pain of mind and body and stirring and history all come together. So now we have the command, if you will, the, the connecting those words into the physical act of speech that then does all this amazing forming with the tongue and so on that we learn as infants, which is remarkable beyond belief. If you pay attention to your tongue while you speak, you will be flabbergasted. I can guarantee it. It's like, how do I do that? How do I do that? But you're doing it, right? I'm doing it. Oh my God, I better not talk about it or I'll stop doing it. And you won't get a talk. So now my tongue is still. And out comes all those, that energy actually has something, if you will, objectively measurable in the sense of air pressure coming out in certain little bursts and moving through space, propagating. the speech is put out into the world and it cannot be taken back. So we get some sense of the source, which could have been deep wisdom, it could have been truly hateful. It's all the same formula. Even the wisdom would urge to be spoken. Otherwise, there's no muscular movement, even when the wisdom is spoken in emptiness. There's still movement. Where there's movement, there's some kind of source of intention, registration in the mind, comma, karma. So that's already, that's going on. and you will get to explore that. To maybe be humbled by that. But also maybe to uh, be inspired by the shift that comes when this process unfolds in the framework of insight rather than just delusion, ignorance. When it is intended, intended, intended towards unbinding. So 
we left our story at this propagating air pressure wave moving through space. So we pick up our story there. So this air pressure actually now is intended to be received by one person, multiple people, a whole group of people. Who knows? Gandhi and Hitler both spoke to thousands. Mother and baby. Mother speaks to baby. Right there. Can't get much closer. Buddha, the Buddha speaks to a monk, a nun, right there. The sound touches the ears and sound, now let's not abstract it too far. These are actual compressed molecules, <laughs> compressed, uncompressed, compressed, uncompressed, propagating like a wave through water and now that pressure wave is actually impacting your body. That's what's happening now. As I speak, what you're calling hearing and maybe understanding me and all this kind of thing, forget about all that more complex stuff. Right now, you are you, whatever. There is out there these physical entities being impacted by pressure waves. Understand? Those pressure waves touch your body, your whole body. Now, I don't know how subtle, uh, you know, what subtle impressions the whole body can take when it listens, but something's going on. But there's one particular part of the body that's designed specifically to be sensitive to this particular type of signal, just like the eyes are sensitive to light. And that, of course, is the ears. So there's these pinna, these little flappy, fleshy jobs out here. And then the sound goes in through a hole, just more air connected to air. So there's air pressure now, and there's this really delicate little membrane, the tympanic membrane, that's vibrating like the head of a timpani drum. So right now, as I'm speaking, your tympanic membrane is wiggling. So let's stop there. As I'm speaking, your tympanic membrane is wiggling right now. Right now, it's wiggling. Do you understand? Your tympanic membrane is coupled with my throat, folks. It's like a direct coupling. I mean, how intimate is that? How intimate is that? That's really intimate. It's amusing, it really is. It tickles me too, still, after all these years. It's really intimate. And we just completely ignore it. So, even, even, even like this, just the whisper. And there's this connection with my belly and my thoughts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really is quite something. So the tympanic membrane wiggles, and there's this connective mechanism that eventually leads to that wiggle being translated to the cochlea, which is this spiral fluid-filled organ 
remarkable piece of machinery. And in the cochlea, there's all these hairs floating like kelp out at sea, just in the fluid. And as this same pressure wave from my throat and belly propagates through your cochlea, the fluid in the cochlea receives that pressure wave. It's translated, right? You can get that sense like when you bang on the side of a, you know, an aquarium or a full trash can or a glass of water. It propagates, right? So it's propagating through this spiral, but these hairs that are stimulated, the roots of those hairs are directly connected to nerves, to the auditory nerve. So now this speaking that I'm doing is creating electrochemical impulses that go through that liquid spiral, connect, are transduced into this signal straight to your auditory cortex. So I'm related now through my speech to the motion of your brain unless you leave the room and get where you can't hear me. That's a strange intimacy. In the moment that happens, already through this channel I just described, this mechanical channel, already the sound is beginning to be sorted perceptually. Highs and lows, and in that auditory nerve, the signals that are sent to the brain, the brain already begins to parse them out by the part of the brain that does music processing and the part of the brain that does language processing. This is important to your meditation practice not just to entertaining you with a fun talk. It's important to your practice. Because attentionally, you can notice the musical channel and let go of the content channel. Attentionally. It'll still be unfolding because the brain is being stimulated. Our language capacity is so high, so facile, that we'll, we understand the words anyway. You're understanding my words now, very quickly. I'm saying a lot, I'm speaking quickly. But you could just be listening to my, the changes in pitch, the changes in tone. So now, let's go back to the speaker and remember that part of the story. Here I am saying how lonely I feel and I'm scared that, you know, you don't love me anymore. And all of my body went to form that signal, not in ways that I intended. I wasn't there acting scared and lonely. I was feeling it and it came out. And it came out in such a way that based on your history, now just the same way my history created it, your history unfolds it. So you receive this music, this music, its pauses, where it's quick, where it's slow. You receive the places that the sound just gets so soft and the voice begins to crack. And I'm telling you, I heard like that, you know? You, you feel it. You hear it, you feel it. You hear it through the music. And what does this feel it mean? It means that the whole body's responding to the music the way it learned to respond to music your entire life, the way it's built to respond to music. 
So this can serve us and this can confuse us a great deal because maybe whenever, let's say, your mother used that tone of voice, she was about to hit you and something in you learned that. And so now you're listening to me say how lonely and scared I am. All of a sudden you're scared, you're, you're almost out of the room and you don't know why. Just something, something. Or could be otherwise, right? Could be you hear my loneliness and you feel it and you can touch something that's like, you, is intersubjective or universal and you really sense the genuineness of my loneliness and you realize I, I not only don't want to cause you that pain, I, I still love you, you know? You get this, that this, this is not an act. You get that this is real and it's not at all what you feel because you've touched my side of it. You've touched my loneliness through this auditory channel. That's why mechanically, you don't have to understand it mechanically, but if you do, you can see the subtlety of it. And now, of course, the word part is still there, ready to be looked at. And now, when I say, I'm scared, I'm lonely, I hurt. Scared, lonely, hurt. What do those mean? They mean to you, according to your whole sankara, Sankara Pachaya Vijnana, based upon the constructing process of the mind, which comes up out of all past moments of experience that registered, volitional moments, consciousness takes form. So your experience of the moment of what's being offered arises dependent upon your history. And it's happening every moment, constantly forming and reforming. Bing, 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 faster than I can say bing. Bing, bing, bing. The fluxing of the emergence of your experience. Just like the fluxing of me, the speaker, the emergence of my experience as I speak is now something's emerging within you and up comes through the language, through the music, the unfolding now from however you receive the meaning and however the music touches you, experience arises. And it moves through and triggers all sorts of thoughts and so on in you. It triggers all sorts of bodily sensations, mind states in this incredible flux of experience. So in some ways, Just as I'm speaking to you now, and there's a direct contact, direct, direct as we can get, right, between mind and mind, right? You're listening to the, some aspects of what is arisen, what is arising now in my mind. Your mind is hearing that, yeah? Mind-to-mind -mind contact, it's quite incredible. We take it for granted, but it is unbelievable. And in this contact, the conveyance of something happens. So I want to shift from the emotional experience that we were working with, just as in a story, as an example. I want to shift to something you can maybe trust a little more and move inside a little more, which is Dhamma. Teachings that awaken. So now we see that as I'm speaking right now, I'm speaking Dhamma right now, you're still assessing and listening to my heart, 
musically, you're seeing me and all of that. And moment by moment, your body is responding to my humanity, not just my intellect. But there's also a response to the quality of awareness that I bring, an empathic quality of awareness in how I look, in how I sound, and in the words I speak. I point to mindfulness. Are you mindful right now as I'm saying this? Are you observing yourself, observing this? Are you with me? This is a real question. I need some movement of the head to acknowledge this, because otherwise it's all a show. Thank you. Okay? So I point to mindfulness now. Now. I'm pointing to mindfulness now. Right? And here it is. So in that sense, language becomes a conveyor for the remembering, for the waking up. And if you say this to me, and I'm listening, maybe I'll have that waking up. And just as looking at you can arouse this quality of wakefulness and maybe even the zeal of what it's like to be awake and the energy of it, then that's shared and I can reflect that back to you in language, in physical presence, and so on. Now, if, as we engage in this way, we're also touching and naming and pointing to Dhamma, to the perceptual processes, you know, you seeing this body as a man, as a human, separating it from the background. Do this as I'm saying it, right? Per there's perception here. Perception, perceiving language, perceiving this visible form. So I'm pointing to perception. And I point now to Sankara, the sense of what it's like to be sitting here, upwelling out of your, all your history, a sense of, ah, this mind state, What's your mind state? Right? This sense of being conditioned now, feeling like any kind of me now, pointing to Dhamma, pointing to the awareness itself. So now language is doing this. And when it touches your ears and goes through that whole process, The meaning now doesn't just transfer into some emotional conveyance and some reaction within you and all oh, your whole body and your belly responds to my loneliness and all of that. Your being, as it were, is responding to wisdom, to wakefulness through this process that once it makes that jump from the language perception into the pre-language, right? There, in this case, you might call it the post-language. Never said that before. So the post-language is this unfolding of experience as a result of language. And look what we get. A room full of people paying close attention to their, their minds and their bodies. direct experience of it. You create that direct experience through your attention and effort, but we're creating it together. And language and speaking and listening and all that sensitivity that can create such suffering is now being directed towards waking up. can be directed towards love, towards compassion, towards justice. And the 
greater the ignorance, the greater the likelihood that it will devolve into expressions, of course, of greed, hatred, and delusion, leading to conflict and more pain. So purifying, developing the heart, the mind, developing understanding of this role of listening and speaking, and not keeping it out of the meditative domain, stands to be immensely powerful. But we have to bring strong intentionality because of something I said several times in this talk that I'll close with. We're so good at it, we don't have to think about it, and we usually don't. Sounds like a setup to me for difficulty. We usually don't think about it, but we can, and we can learn to pay attention and engage the transformative force and let the totality of life be rested in the Dhamma. Sounds like also quite powerful. So let's see. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.